In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. So it was another lovely, optimistic day for those who worry about the next year or so of Canada's economy. The Bank of Canada has hiked its key interest rate by 50 basis points to 3.75%. Today's hike makes it the sixth consecutive increase in an effort to fight inflation, which was recorded at a shade below 7% last month. Yes, interest rates have been raised again, supposedly, to fight ongoing inflation. But guess what? This is the sixth time this year they've been raised and inflation is still high. And now, so are interest rates. I'm not trying to be glib. This is just what's happening. It's the reality Canadians are grappling with. Now, haul out your last grocery bill. Take a look at what you bought and how much you paid for it. And let me know how much good having those prices frozen for a few months will do for you. Following the path of several grocers around the world, Loblaws is the first in Canada to voluntarily freeze prices on its privately labeled products. Right after Loblaws announced their price freeze, Metro announced a shockingly similar one. And of course, it didn't take long before the federal government, already keenly aware of how the public feels about big grocery chains right now, took notice of that. Canada's Competition Bureau will be looking at the groceries market to see if more competition could help bring prices down. So, this is all kind of a mess. Meanwhile, interest rates are up, Inflation is still high. The Bank of Canada is warning of a recession. Our money is buying less everywhere. And most Canadians are standing here wondering what the heck they can expect from all this over the next year. So today, we'll discuss how all these things work together and how, maybe, just maybe, they might work better. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Jim Stanford is an economist. He is the director of the Centre for Future Work, and he is occasionally a contributing columnist in the Toronto Star. Hi, Jim. Good morning, Jordan. I'm glad to be talking to you right now because yesterday the Bank of Canada raised its interest rate by half a point, which brings it to... What exactly and what is the bank telling us with this Mm. continuing interest rate hike? Right. This was the sixth interest rate increase uh, from the Bank of Canada since March uh, when they started this crusade. Uh, It takes their overnight lending rate to 3.75%. 
and it started at 0.25%. So that's a, a heck of a change. That's about a 15-fold increase. Now, that overnight rate, of course, Jordan, is not what you and I pay on our right. car loan or our credit cards or our mortgage. That's what the Bank of Canada charges the banks for um, keeping money uh, at the central bank. We pay much higher than that, and we've seen a, a tripling of the interest rate on variable uh, mortgages and big increases uh, across the board. Uh, they say that they're doing this to get inflation back from where it is right now, around 7%, to its 2% target. Um, so far, the interest rate increases have actually increased inflation. I know that hmm. sounds perverse, but uh, because of the impact on housing costs, the debt charges that are built into a mortgage and also rents, rents have gone way up with higher interest rates. They're actually making it worse, not better in the near term. Down the road, it's probably going to cause a recession. And, you know, inflation usually falls during a recession. Whether that's a good trade-off or not is another matter. When we talk about inflation, and this is this is what I want to get into today, we often talk about it as, you know, just one number that encompasses everything. Is that what we've seen over the past few months, the price of everything going up? Or have some things sort of outpaced that and other things uh, perhaps not increased by as much? No, certainly. The uh, Statistics Canada people, when they're calculating the consumer price index, the CPI, they measure the prices of thousands of different goods and services. And of course, um, the prices change for each of those things at different rates. There's still a few things out there that are falling in price. You know, some of the, uh, say, the, the, the new versions of different uh, electronics, some of those prices are still falling. But most everything else is increasing at different rates. And then the overall rate that we see at 6.9% at present, uh, that's a weighted average uh, of all of the different things. Now, uh, the start to this whole problem, uh, you know, a year and a bit ago when inflation first started rearing its ugly head, uh, was clearly the result of uh, international factors. So we had the energy price shock, of course, the thanks in part to the war in Ukraine. Uh, we had global supply chain problems, a huge increase in global shipping costs. Mm -hmm. uh, these were all mostly kind of a hangover from the pandemic, from the, the closures and then the reopening uh, after the uh, pandemic. So initially, you could isolate where the inflation was coming from, and it was mostly from those global factors. Now, now, of course, because Canadians, you know, whether you're business or a worker, they're all trying to protect themselves against inflation. And so we're seeing uh, adjustments in prices in, in all kinds of things, including things that are just produced here in Canada. So the, the inflation has definitely spread and broadened. Um, and this is one of the reasons the Bank of Canada says, uh, you know, we're intent on slowing down the whole economy to get it under control. I'm glad you touched on where the inflation pressures are coming from, because that's what we really wanted to talk to you about today. And I thank you for, you know, the intro about the recent breaking news on the interest rates. It's hard to keep up these days, Jordan, I tell you. I know, I know. It was fortuitous, though, that we had yes. you on the show today to, to introduce it that way. But what we're really discussing today is probably, I would guess, where Canadians feel the pinch of inflation the most from day to day, and that's with groceries. But because mm. you touched on where that comes from. I know this is a difficult question to answer, but when we look at something like the price of groceries continuing to climb, is there any way for us to tell how much of that are the international factors you mentioned, you know, shipping, fuel, all that stuff, and how much of it, and this is delicate, is major companies hiking prices to make larger profits? 
Right. Well, you're quite right to identify that there's a range of different factors causing food prices to grow. And you're quite right to say food prices are certainly one of the most infuriating dimensions uh, of inflation that we're experiencing. Uh, not necessarily the biggest single source, uh, frankly. Um, up there in the top three, gasoline prices uh, have been the biggest single contributor to inflation. Housing mm -hmm. costs are uh, very, very important, but groceries are right up there. Uh, grocery prices have grown by an average of 11.4% over the last year. Ouch. And uh, Canadians have to face up to it every week when they go to, you know, Loblaws or Sobeys or wherever they shop at. Mm -hmm. um, a mixture of forces there again, you know, the international uh, shipping uh, costs and uh, supply disruptions. You've seen a, a huge number of um, natural disasters, most of them related to climate, uh, floods and droughts and other things like that that have affected supply of different uh, agricultural commodities. Uh, the war in Ukraine, again, part of it, partly because of the impact on energy prices, uh, partly because of uh, uh, disruptions in the things that are made over there, uh, wheat, uh, sunflower seeds and oils, etc. And within Canada, you've got inflation and cost pressures all along the supply chain, you know, from the farmers who are struggling to the food processors. Right. But uh, there's no denying, Jordan, a big big kind of slice uh, of, the, of the cheese on top of it all is the profits of the supermarket chains. They have uh, really grown strongly since the pandemic, uh, up over 100%, frankly, compared to 2019, the last normal year we had before COVID. And uh, so the, the supermarkets are certainly passing on higher costs and then some uh, supermarket profits uh, have grown, and that is part of what we're paying those prices for. You wrote about this in a column for The Star last week, but tell me about what Loblaw did to try to get ahead of that narrative that you just mentioned, that grocers are hiking their prices in order to take more profits and not just because of, oh, it's factors outside our control. Well, the, the supermarkets have been in the public eye for some time, uh, frankly. I, I think it is partly because people go there every week, and it's kind of like picking at a scab or something, Jordan. You know, every week you go and you say, oh, no, how can it be that much now? Yep. And you, you naturally ask, uh, why, why, are the, why are the supermarkets charging this much for something that used to be, you know, 30% cheaper? And then that has political ramifications. So, you know, our governments uh, get calls from angry consumers and the opposition parties do. So you've had a debate over how supermarkets uh, are, have responded to the pandemic, uh, frankly, for a couple of years now. But it's gotten hotter. And uh, we had first the NDP um, passed a motion in the Agriculture Committee at the House of Commons. Then you had the overall House of Commons uh, pass a motion to investigate supermarket pricing practices and profits. And now you've had the Competition Bureau, the Federal Competition Bureau, say, we're going to have an investigation as well. So the supermarkets know that people are angry and, and that they're being watched carefully. Uh, so I think in, you know, in, an, in a, an effort, a public relations effort and a, a bit of a lobbying effort to try and short circuit that anger, Loblaws said, we will freeze the prices on our no-name brands. Those are the yellow packaged uh, lower cost items that they, they sell in-house mm -hmm. for a period of uh, about three months until February uh, after the Christmas uh, holiday season. And and sort of pretended that they're doing this as a favor to consumers to help them. And of course, nobody believes they do anything as a favor to consumers. It's a, a strategic effort uh, regarding their public image and um, perhaps also internal marketing. Even though those products are priced cheaper than the national brands, 
the profit margin that Loblaws makes on them is higher because of the uh, the fact that it's their own brand and they pay lower costs to their suppliers and they kind of cut out the the national brand as the intermediary there. So it's actually a lucrative line of business for Loblaws and the, it could be an attempt to, to actually shift demand away from the national brands to their own products huh. more than a, an act of charity for Canadian consumers. So they announced that and uh, what did their competitors do right after? <laughs> well, this is what you call the law of unintended consequences, Jordan. You you try and do something you think is going to have a good effect, and then lo and behold, uh, it does something you weren't expecting. And uh, and this happened here. So Loblaws announces that they're going to freeze uh, prices on their no-name brands at the current elevated levels, I might point out, right? It's right. one thing to freeze them when they're low. It's another thing to freeze them when they're high. Uh, and immediately, first of all, that confirmed that the supermarket has strategic pricing power. Right. And it ran against the narrative that Loblaws itself had been uh, communicating for months before, namely, oh, we, don't blame us. We just have to pass on higher costs uh, that we get from our suppliers. Hmm. Well, that argument is as true of no-name products as anything else. Loblaws doesn't manufacture the toilet paper and the butter and the other stuff that comes in yellow packages. So uh, they first of all proved that companies can show leeway and strategy in their pricing decisions. But then even worse, uh, within hours, uh, one of their big competitors, Metro, that's one of the, another one of the big three chains, Loblaws, Sobeys, and Metro, really have a lock on the overall supermarket uh, business in Canada. It's very concentrated. Metro came out and said, we've fr- frozen the prices for our no-name brands as well. It's not called no-name, it's the house brand. By the way, they said this is a normal seasonal practice. Typically, over the Christmas break, uh, you don't uh, implement uh, big price changes. Uh, So all that did was confirm, Jordan, what we already knew. Namely, this industry is a cozy oligopoly. The three, you know, dominant competitors have the power to influence prices. And what's more, they watch each other and match each other. You know, whether it's uh, explicit collusion, as was shown to be the case in the bread pricing scandal uh, a few years ago, or whether it's just kind of an implicit pact among them, they behave similarly. And that keeps prices elevated for consumers. It also keeps prices suppressed for suppliers. And this is an interesting angle. It keeps wages suppressed for the workers at grocery stores because they've got this power. We saw that uh, after the initial COVID lockdowns. Uh, you'll remember the supermarkets were paying a $2 an hour bonus to workers to get them to come to work. And that was before vaccines and everything, remember? People were worried they could die mm-hmm. if they caught COVID. And well, of course, you still you still have to worry about that. But uh, back then, it was uh, very frightening. And so to get people to come to work, they paid $2 an hour extra uh, so that we could get groceries. They, they really were heroes, those, those grocery store clerks. Uh, but then at the moment they decided they didn't have to anymore, all three of the chains cut the wage by $2 in the same week. Right. Another example of the sort of uh, implicit collusion that goes on there. So uh, Loblaw's action in a way reaffirmed how this industry works, and it does not work for the benefit of consumers, no doubts. In 2007... TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. 
Split Screen Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. So from the point of view um, of an economist looking at this, uh, you know, big three that control almost the entire market, was yes. freezing the prices, did anything positive come out of that? The way you describe it, it's uh, it hasn't even worked as a PR move. Right. Um, well, um, I mean, I will tell you, Loblaw's got a heck of a lot of free advertising out of it from, you know, the media covering this sort of novel novel response. So they, they might true. still think it was a good idea. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't think anything significant will come out of it from consumers' point of view. I don't think you'll notice any difference on your overall uh, shopping bill. Loblaw's could have frozen prices for everything in its store. There's no The, the logic is no different uh, for all of the other things on its shelves. So the mm-hmm. fact that they chose this particular name brand, uh, in-house brand, uh, is is strategic in in their regard. So as a measure of reducing uh, the pain that consumers feel, this is going to have no measurable uh, impact. And now we're going to see those investigations kind of proceed uh, over the next weeks and months. So uh, the supermarkets are going to be in the public eye for some time to come. And and rightly so. They're absolutely part of the problem. They're not the only reason inflation has taken off. You know, we had a cozy oligopoly in supermarkets before COVID. So clearly, uh, the spur for what we're seeing uh, came from the lockdowns, the international disruptions, and everything else that happened. But the supermarkets uh, are making it worse with their own profit-taking. And uh, frankly, that's something that we see in other sectors uh, of the economy as well. Energy, uh, housing, uh, wood products, uh, and building materials is another area where uh, inflation has definitely been caused by enormous Profit taking, so you know, in a way, I, I think it's uh, this. This is important to look at the supermarkets, and it should be the start of a broader conversation. You know, we're at a time of uncertainty and crisis uh, in our in our health, in our society, and in our economy. And uh, in the middle of it, you've got you know large, powerful companies saying, "This is a good chance to jack up prices. I'm mm-hmm. going to do that." And I, I'm not sure we should take their power and their uh, sort of moral right to do that for granted. When we talk about the profit margins for these companies, you know, to the average person, these grocers say their profit margins are 3 4%. Yeah. That seems low. Is it low? Uh, what is normal for this kind of sector? And, and you know, how should people look at that when they hear that, well, look, we're barely making any money. Um, of course, we have to jack prices. Right. Yeah, I, I've heard that profit margin argument a hundred times, and uh, it's it's very very dubious. First of all, the this idea of a low margin makes it sound like supermarkets is a skin of the teeth operation, barely on the edge of survival, and that's nonsense. Uh, the the sales margin is a, a measure of how much profit you make relative to the total volume of sales that go through your operation, and so it all depends on what you're measuring it against. Hmm. Uh, so the fact is, uh, a supermarket uh, most of their costs are what they pay the suppliers for all the stuff they put on the shelves. But it's basically a pipeline. It comes in and it goes out. So the end profit is really more determined by the real operations of the supermarket, the building, the real estate, the labor costs, the utilities, etc. And relative to those costs, the profit margin is is very healthy. Relative to the uh, amount of capital that has been invested in the business, it's very healthy. Uh, Loblaw's um, return on equity is actually a more appropriate measure of the profitability of the business here. Uh, 15.6% in the first half of, of this year, and that's a very healthy 
uh, rate of return. So here, uh, here's a good analogy, uh, Jordan. Uh, think about a real estate agent. Okay, they take a margin. Uh, t- uh, you know, typically the the real estate agents get five percent uh, commission, and then they split it. Okay, right. so a typical real estate agent would get two and a half percent. That's about what Loblaws claims his profit margin is. Now, if the price of a house is one million dollars, the uh, real estate agent gets two and a half percent. Uh, if the price doubles to $2 million, which is kind of what we've seen, the real estate agent is still just taking 2.5%, but their total profits have doubled. Uh, and that's the kind of thing that we're seeing, the, see. this idea that it's a low-margin business and, and nothing has changed, absolutely wrong. They are profiting from inflation clearly because it's only inflation. It's not that we're buying more groceries. In fact, Canadians are buying less groceries because they're so darn expensive. Um, uh, so the the only thing driving up the overall sales number is inflation, and they're taking a nice chunk of it. Uh, so there's no doubt that they have profited from this moment and in a way have contributed to this moment. Thank you for explaining that. That's something that I hadn't I hadn't understood. Um, the last thing I want to discuss are the investigations, specifically uh, the Competition Bureau one. What does a Competition Bureau investigation actually mean for the big three grocers? Like, how does it work? What should they be watching for? Right. Well, uh, in a way, this uh, isn't entirely clear, and I'm going to be watching it. You know, I'm not a competition law expert, I'll be frank. I'm a macroeconomist and a labor market economist, but I know enough about numbers to be able to dig into some of the uh, supermarket financial statements and see, oh yeah, they are definitely making money. Um, How the Competition Bureau will handle this, they will uh, obviously do some investigation of their own into the financial statements and uh, other sources of data, Statistics Canada data. Uh, They will conduct interviews with the companies uh, involved and perhaps with uh, consumer groups and other interested stakeholders. And, um, you know, they'll be be looking at uh, whether in particular, whether any laws have been violated in the course of this, laws regarding collusion of uh, behavior. Mm. Uh, I think the key problem here is, Jordan, that our laws are not really strong. Uh, You know, you really have to be caught with a smoking gun uh, in order for uh, the Competition Bureau to to do anything. And the bread price fixing scandal of a few years ago was a rare example of that. Right. So um, I think that uh, I I suspect not much is going to come out of the Competition Bureau's investigation other than some more public heat on the supermarkets. Um, I do think that part of the takeaway from the current inflation that we're experiencing should be a willingness to look at our competition laws uh, further in Canada and think about ways of uh, providing more leeway for government action or competition bureau action uh, to prevent those uh, sort of practices, those collusive practices, even implicit ones, uh, have stronger penalties when they when they are found to have occurred, and even take measures like uh, breaking up super large companies if their role, if their dominance of a market is too great. Um, you know, that has been a, an approach of competition policy in the past, but we don't seem to do that anymore. We seem to tolerate large companies, whether it's supermarkets or telecom companies or banks, uh, using their market power to make uh, undue profits. And uh, I think that in reaction to the current inflation that we're seeing and the concerns about corporate concentration, uh, we should be having another look at competition law uh, in order to see if there's other ways to hold these big companies to account. Last question then, what do you expect to see or what will you be specifically looking for over the next several months? Uh, we just had one interest rate hike. Will we Will we have more? Right. In terms of inflation that covers everything, you know, is it going to get worse before it gets better? Like, uh, what's out there to watch right now that could tell us where we're headed? 
Jordan, they say that economics is the dismal science. <laughs> and I tell you, uh, we're living up to that reputation big time these days. I, I, I am very pessimistic about what's going to happen in the next six months, in the next year, even the next two years, uh, frankly. So this Bank of Canada increase was the sixth since March. And they have said quite clearly there are more to come, even mm. though they acknowledge that the, the, there's a huge risk of recession. In essence, the, the Bank of Canada said uh, yesterday that there was a 50-50 chance of recession. I would put the odds more at 90-10, frankly. But uh, it's amazing to have the central bank acknowledge that a recession is uh, quite possible, yet we're still going to increase interest rates. Um, and they are. So um, it is definitely going to get worse before it gets better. Inflation uh, has not responded yet to those high interest rates, not at all. Uh, some of the international factors that caused inflation in the first place uh, are um, resolving and uh, dissipating a bit, which is a good thing. And frankly, that would have happened even without the interest rate increases. Um, but uh, I think we are going to be in recession next year. Uh, Canadians, uh, hundreds of thousands of them are going to lose their jobs. Hundreds of thousands of them are going to lose their homes. And uh, it's going to just be another layer of misery on top of what we've been through in the last three years. And the, and the thing that absolutely infuriates me is we don't have to do it this way. We, this is going to be a, a, a man-made recession. It's going to be a, a completely in engineered, self-inflicted wound. And uh, in that regard, I, I think we, we have to have a big discussion about how do we think about inflation in the economy? How do we manage it? Do we take it for granted? that huge companies like Loblaws have the moral and legal right to charge what the market will bear, even during a moment of great social disruption, because uh, that's where inflation came from. And uh, in that context, you know, I, I think there's tough times ahead, but maybe uh, it will spur us to, to have another look at how we manage this important aspect of our economy. At the risk of opening up one whole other can of worms, you say we don't have to do it this way. How could we do it? Right. Well, our Center for Future Work uh, published a, a big report just a, a week ago on uh, six, uh, a six-point strategy for dealing with inflation other than throw the whole economy into a recession. That's our, that's our, uh, our recipe book right now. And there's only one page in it. Use the interest rate to slow down overall growth, increase unemployment, and then assume that inflation will come down. Uh, so we said, first of all, it has to be a more multidimensional strategy. That's where our six points came from. It's not just the Bank of Canada that should be charged with managing inflation. The government has an active role to play. Fiscal policy can be effective as well as uh, monetary policy. Uh, the government should be addressing the root causes of the inflation that we've seen. The housing bubble, for example, uh, absolutely dominant in this. So let's get more uh, affordable housing built. Mm. Uh, the energy price spike, also a huge part of it. Huh? So let's make sure we're rolling out those uh, renewable and sustainable energy sources that have nothing to do with OPEC and world oil markets. That's another way to protect us. Um, and then finally, until those international factors that cause the problem dissipate, uh, make sure that people's wages are keeping up and that uh, income supports are, are keeping up. That doesn't cause inflation. Protecting people against inflation does not cause inflation. And uh, it's really important that we, we say Canadians didn't cause this problem and we won't let average working Canadians be the victims of it. Jim, thank you for that. And thank you for explaining this so well, uh, even if it wasn't necessarily a ray of sunshine. <laughs> I would encourage everyone to check out uh, the Center for Future Work if that last answer made more sense to you than an upcoming recession. And Jim, thank you again. My pleasure, Jordan. Thank you for having me. Jim Stanford, economist, director of the Center for Future Work, which you can head to to check out that six-point plan he just referenced. That was the big story. 
For more from us, you can head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can find all our episodes there. And of course, you can send us feedback anytime you like. We got a couple of letters from listeners who were pleased that we stood up to the person complaining that we weren't presenting things from the convoy's point of view. I also wanted to say a special shout out to the 10 people who are right now receiving Big Story tote bags in the mail. They do exist. Thank you for filling out our survey. It took us a little while to get them to you, but they are on the way. If you see somebody with a Big Story tote bag, go up and say hi. You guys have like one thing in common at least. Anyway, you want to give us feedback? It's hello at thebigstorypodcast.ca via email. And you can call and leave a voicemail, 416-935-5935. The other avenue you have for feedback, of course, is by leaving reviews in any podcast player that lets you. An Apple podcast right now, we have some people who I also think were a little salty about the Convoy episode. You, you can go read theirs. I'll, I'll spare you, but... They're there if you want to take a look or write your own. We always appreciate the support. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now.